Amen. We are welcome to ATC 105. Tonight, we'll be talking about faith and prayer. We'll be talking about faith and prayer. And we have six objectives that we want to accomplish by the end of this class. At the end of this class, you should be able to appreciate what faith is and how important God views faith. Two, you should be able to appreciate the basic elements and the principles of faith. Three, you should be able to appreciate how to develop faith from the measure of faith. And four, you should be able to appreciate what prayer is and the basic principles of prayer. And five, you should be able to appreciate the basic types of prayer. And lastly, you should be able to appreciate the power of praying in the Spirit. Over five weeks ago, we started this series. And we started the first class, ATC 101. And in that class, we revisited God's original plan and intent for man. And we're able to establish in that class that God created man to be the crown of his creation. God made man to be a little bit lower than himself. God created man to be his image. And we established in that class that you are essentially a spirit being who lives in a physical body and you have a soul. And we're able to see that man lost the dominion, the power, the authority that God gave us when he first created us, when Adam and Eve committed a sin in the Garden of Eden, and man inherited the nat nature of sin. And we're able to see in that class that man was on his way to hell, but God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and redeem us from our sins by dying on the cross of Calvary. And we're able to see that salvation has been made available for us. And we can only access it through repentance. And we established in that class that repentance means a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of character, a change of everything about you. And you now turn again to God. And in the second class, it is in 102, we re-examine the issue of our salvation. We examine what does it mean to be saved. We're able to show us that Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And we're able to show us that through the word and the spirit of God, our spirit man that died, that was separated from God, became born again and was reconnected back to God. And we established in that class that it is now time for us to know who we are in Christ and begin to walk in the consciousness of our new creation. Remember the story I gave us of the brother who became a bush, a member of the bush family, and how everything about that brother must change. The way he thinks, the, the way he talks, the way he dresses, his financial status changes, everything changes. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, all things are passed away, all things are become new. Amen. We were able to tell us that we are now in a position of ad advantage and um, we should walk in the light of our new creation. 
In the next class, it is in 103, we looked at the issue of our mission and our driving force. We're able to show us that we're a church on a mission. And the Holy Spirit is our driving force. The power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit is our driving force. It drives us to do everything that we do. We're able to show us in that class that our empowerment for the Christian life and for ministry comes by the empowerment that the Holy Ghost gave us. Jesus told the disciples, he said, Tarry ye in Jerusalem and do not do anything until you are endued with power from on high. Amen. And we saw that the disciples, the apostles, they did not start their ministry after Jesus resurrected and went back to heaven until after the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Ghost came upon them, the Holy Ghost empowered them. And in one preaching sermon, the first sermon that Peter preached, 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. Amen. And we're able to see that the Holy Ghost is our power, it's our empowerment. We're able to see the fivefold purposes of the church. We're able to see, Jesus said, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the world. Our presence here in this world is what is making this world still sane. Can you imagine if there are no Christians in the world today? Can you imagine if nobody is praying about anything to God today? Satan will take over completely. So you imagine what the world will be like when the rapture happens and Jesus comes and takes the church out of the earth. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be destruction. It's going to be calamities. And we're able to see that we need to participate in the purposes of the church, which is evangelism, worship, discipleship, missions, teaching. And we are to be moved progressively from the community to the core. Because that is where ministry is. Amen. And we ended that class by introducing us to Praise Chapel International. That Praise Chapel Christian Fellowship started a long time ago in 1976. And today, we have over 2,000 churches worldwide. And last week, we were privileged to have our senior pastors, Pastors Kelly and Esther. They were here, and they shared with us how Praise Chapel, Kansas City started. And also, before they shared with us, I was able to share with us last week that there are some basic principles and culture that is in this house. Culture of faith, of giving, of evangelism, of witnessing. And those are the principles, the things that if you do, we assure you that you will remain a strong Christian. Amen. And I hope that the notes that you take home every week, you are keeping them and you are going through them again. So that you will, you, you will, you will remember to apply them to your life. Somebody said, knowledge received but not applied is knowledge lost. Until you apply the knowledge you receive, you, didn't, you don't really have it. Amen. Hallelujah. So tonight, we are built on those four classes. And tonight, we are building on. And tonight, we are looking at the issue of faith. So the question right now is, what is faith? What is faith? The simplest definition of faith that I've came across was that one described by one great man of God. He said, faith is taking the word of God seriously. Faith is taking the word of God seriously. When you look at the dictionary, you try to find out the meaning of faith from English dictionary. 
He says that faith means confident belief in the truth, in a value or trustworthiness of a person, idea, or thing. It also means belief that does not rest on logical proof or material evidence. Faith also means to be loyal to a person, a thing, or to have allegiance. That is faith. Now, what do we mean by faith is taking the word of God seriously? Let me give you an hypothetical story. Assuming I come to you, ma'am, and I tell you, I give you my address, and I said, can you see me in my house tomorrow, and I will give you a check for $20 billion. No, that's too much. <laughs> I will give you a check for $2 million if you see me in my house at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Seriously speaking, will you believe me? Why? Hmm. You have great faith. <laughs> if I tell you to come to my house tomorrow to come and collect a check for $5 million written in your name, and I say, meet me in my house, and I give you my, I give you my address, meet me at 10 a.m. tomorrow, I'll give you a check for $5 million, will you believe me? You have to. Mm. You must have great faith. <laughs> if I tell you to come tomorrow and collect a check for $10 million, will you believe me? Be, be true. You won't believe me. Will you believe me? Probably not. That's the most correct answer. Why won't you believe me? Okay, what I want to get out of that is this. You probably won't believe me for real if I tell you, come and collect a check for $5 million tomorrow. The reason why you won't believe me is that maybe you've known me for some weeks here in church and you have not seen me demonstrate that I have $5,000. Is that okay? Have you seen my truck? <laughs> it probably does not show that I have $5,000 cash. You understand? So if I'm now promising you that come and receive $5 million check, you probably won't believe me. You wouldn't believe me. Really, you won't believe me. Because you will look at me, how, how, where, where will he get $5 million when he does not have $5 million cents? <laughs> okay, now let me, let me give you another story. How many people know Bill Gates? Bill Gates, the owner of Microsoft. If Bill Gates walks in here and he said, 
I'm visiting Kansas City and um, Brother Emmanuel has invited me to come and talk to you guys. And at the end of his talk, he said, well, can you see me at Sheraton Hotel Suite 101 tomorrow morning? If you can make it by 8 a.m., I'll give you a check for $5 million as a charity donation. Will you believe him? Why will you believe him? Because, because he has demonstrated that $5 million is nothing to him. Does that make sense to you? So we say faith is taking the word of God seriously. So why would you take Bill Gates' word seriously and you won't take my word seriously? It's because you have built a trust. You have come to know by proven action over the time that Bill Gates has money. Does that make sense to you? But I've not shown anything. If I tell you I will teach you the Bible tomorrow, I'm sure you will believe me. Because you've seen me demonstrate that I can teach the Bible. Alright? But where finance is, is concerned, you probably have not seen me demonstrate that I have a lot of it. Does that make sense to you? So, when we are talking about faith, believing God for what he says, do you have faith in what God says? If God says, I will heal you, do you believe that he will truly heal you? The only reason you will believe that he will heal you is because you have seen him heal other people. You have seen him in other areas of your life that he is faithful. That whatsoever he says he will do, he will do it. Does that make sense to you? So faith is taking the word of God seriously. Amen. So the question is this. Do you have faith in God? Do you believe? You know, dictionary definition of faith means to have confident belief in the truth, value, or the trustworthiness of a person. The question is this. Do you trust the person of God, the personality of God to the extent that when he says a word to you, you believe it as true. Does that make sense to you? Let me come from another angle. All of, all of us, we all have faith. That means we all believe things. But the question is, what is your faith in? What do you have faith in? A very simple analogy is this. All of you you came here this evening and you sat on the pew and you did not think twice before sitting down. Why? Because you have faith in the ability of the pew to carry your weight. So you have faith. Right? You have faith. So you have faith in the pew because you just sat down without thinking. Why? Because the pew has demonstrated over many years over many days you've been coming to this church that you can carry people's weight. So because of that, you didn't even think twice. You have faith in that pew. So the same way which you have faith in God, because God has demonstrated over thousands of years that when he says something, he will do it. 
Am I making sense to us tonight? So the question is not a lack of faith. The problem, rather, is not a lack of faith. But rather, what do you have faith, what do you have faith in? So with that, I would say faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. You choose to believe what you choose to believe. She chose to believe me when I said, come and receive a check for $5 million. She chose to believe. You choose not to believe. Is that okay? She has no physical evidence to believe that I can give her $5 million. But she chose to believe. Because she said, you are a man of God, you won't lie to me. But you said, though I know you are a man of God, but I've not seen you demonstrate that you have a lot of dollars. So I probably won't believe you. So by your choice, you didn't believe me. Does that make sense to you? So faith is a choice. So the main purpose and the main goal of this class tonight is to encourage you to choose to believe the word of God. It's to encourage you to take the word of God seriously because that is faith. Amen. Let's go on quickly. Let's look at how faith is defined in scriptures, different from dictionary definition. Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3, reading from NIV. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. King James Version says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance of the things hoped for, the evidence of the things not seen. Evidence of the things not seen. Let me give you another example. If I come here tonight and I tell you guys, I have a big 10-bedroom mansion in Overland Park. And maybe you guys didn't believe me. And I brought out the title of the house. And you look at the title and you saw that the title is original. Will you believe that I have a 10-bedroom house? Why? Because you saw the evidence. But have you seen the house? No. So faith, another translation says that faith is a title deed of what we hope for. The evidence that we will receive or that we have what we have not yet apprehended. If I show you the title of my house and you believe that I own the house and that I have the house without seeing the house, then you have faith. Does that make sense to you? So faith is the currency of the spirit, is, is the substance, is the evidence that what God says it will do, it will do it. Is the assurance that whatsoever God promises you, it will get it to you. Amen. So that is faith. 
So simply say, said, faith is taking the word of God seriously. In other words, faith is putting your trust first in the trustworthiness of the person of God's person and therefore in his word. If you trust me as a person, then you will trust my words. Does that make sense to you? If you have a problem trusting me as a person, you will have problem trusting my words. Does that follow? So, for you to have faith, for you to build your faith in God, you must come to a point that you know that God is trustworthy. Is God trustworthy to you? Let me give you another example. Very easy one. Look at your life and look at all that you have done with your life. How on earth do you believe that all those terrible things you did have been forgiven? And that if you die today, you are going to heaven. How many people believe if they die today, they go to heaven? So you have faith. <laughs> so you have faith. But is it as if we can easily develop faith in salvation? But in many other areas, we don't have faith. Which one is easier? <laughs> to be taken to heaven with all that you have done in your life. <laughs> with all the terrible things you've committed in your life. All that God will supply your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Which one is easier? It's easier for him to supply your needs than to take you to heaven. But we believe that he will take us to heaven if we die. But we find it difficult to believe that it will heal us, that it will provide for us, that it will protect us. That's amazing, isn't it? Amen. But you won't have a problem believing in God if you know for sure that God can be trusted. Does that make sense to you? Faith is the assurance that what, whatever you believe God for will come to pass. Faith is the evidence or the proof we have in our heart that the precious promises of God will be fulfilled when we place a demand on it. On it. Now, having spoken about faith, having given us some definitions, having given us some examples, the next question is this. How does God view faith? We need to understand what faith means to God. As far as God is concerned, the Bible says you cannot please God except you have faith in him. You cannot please God except you have faith in him. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now notice, that scripture did not say without faith it is difficult to please God. If he says that it is difficult, that would mean it is possible, though it is hard. But the scripture says it is impossible. You cannot please God without faith. Because those that must come to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he rewards those that diligently seek after him. So without faith, you can't please God at all. It won't work. 
That's how seriously God takes faith. So when you don't believe God, God don't take lightly to it. He doesn't take kindly to it. You can't please him. So that means when God says, I will do this, and you don't believe it, God is not pleased. But when God says, I will do this, and you say, Lord, I believe you. I don't know how it will happen, but I believe you. God is pleased. And when God is not pleased, you can't get anything, anything from him. Does that make sense to you? What say? Amen. Amen. When you are pleasing to God, God will do the impossible. Because Jesus said, with man, things may be impossible. He said, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Amen. So God views lack of faith as completely unacceptable to him. So you must have faith in God. Faith means you should take the word of God seriously. The scriptures is the word of God. Take it seriously. If God says, I will do this, believe in me, we'll do it. If God says, I will heal you, he will heal you. If God says, I will provide for you, he will provide for you. If God says, I will protect you, he will protect you. Amen. If God says, if you die today, I will take you to heaven. Be rest assured, he will take you to heaven. Amen. Does that make sense to you? So without faith, somebody said, faith is the currency of the spirit. Now you see, if you go to Walmart, it's either you have your cash or at least you have a credit card. Or else you can't get anything out of Walmart. So we can say dollars is a currency of America. Right? The same thing, you can't get anything from the realm of a spirit without faith. Faith is what you spend to get things. Spend your faith. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Um, let me give you an example. Maybe you want a child. You are married and you are believing God for babies. And you've been married for three years and no babies yet. Now, the baby you are believing God for is in the realm of a spirit. So you need to pay something to get that baby to come to the earth. The currency that you're going to use for that spiritual transaction is called faith. How? You go into the word of God... And you look for the place or for scriptures where God promised you that you shall not be barren. The Bible says that there shall none that will be barren among you, and none shall cast his young. And the first instruction or commandment that God gave man after he created man, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So when you go into the scriptures and you take those words, and you take it to God in prayer. Say, Lord, have you not said in your word that we should be fruitful? Have you not said in your word that we should multiply? Lord, you promised in your word that none of us shall be barren. Therefore, Lord, I'm asking that I should be blessed with the fruit of the womb. And if you're a man, you lay hands on your wife. You said, I cast out the spirit of barrenness. I speak fruitfulness into you in the name of Jesus. And I prophesy that this time next year we shall be with a child. 
You see, when you begin to speak faith like that, the Bible says that angels hearken to the voice of God's word. Listen, angels hearken to the voice of God's word. It did not say that angels hearken to the voice of God. He says angels hearken to the voice of God's word. That means if you should give voice to the word of God, angels will hearken to you. Does that make sense to you? When you begin to speak the word of God, angels are activated to carry out those sentences. Amen. So God views lack of faith as unacceptable and faith is what we use to bring things from the realm of a spirit into the realm of a physical. Faith is a currency of the spirit. Spend your faith. Whatever you want, whatever you want, spend your faith to get it. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, how seriously does God view faith? Faith is based on his word. You know what God did? You know, the Bible tells us that at the name of Jesus, all knees shall bow of everything on earth and everything in heaven and all tongues shall confess that Jesus is Lord at the name of Jesus. That's the name. But look at what God did to his word. The Bible says that God exalted his word above his name. Come with me to the book of Psalms 138 verse 2. It says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Then listen to the next sentence. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Another translation says, for you have exalted your word above all your name. Is the name of Jesus a name? Is it a name? Yes. The name of Jesus is a name. It's a name of God. But the Bible says that God has even placed and exalted his word above his name. So if at the name of Jesus everything bows, how much more? The word of God. Everything bows. Does that make sense to you? That's telling you how important God views his word. When Jesus came, Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but not a single dot of my word will go without coming to pass. So that means you can bank your life on the word of God. You can put your hope and your trust in, what, in the word of God and go to sleep. Even in the midst of a storm. Amen. The word of God is so powerful. It's so quick. It's, it's her life. The word of God will produce. If you hold on to it long enough, it will produce. Amen. God himself subjects himself to his word. When God says something, he can't take back his word. If God says, I will bless you, let's assume he said it by mistake. 
You know, there are sometimes you say some things by mistake. Let's assume that God says something to you, promises you something by mistake. He cannot take his word back. He bound himself by his word. He is bound. His word is his bond. If God says it, be rest assured that settles it. He will do it. Amen. Now let's move on quickly and let us look at the basic elements and the principles of faith. What are the things that makes, make, make up faith? There are four elements that constitute faith. We're looking at how can you have faith. There are three things that must be, there are three ingredients that must be there for you to have faith. For faith to be born in your heart. One, the word of God. Your faith must be based on the word of God. The word of God must be the foundation of your faith. Two, confession of the word of God. There must be a speaking out of the word of God that you believe. Three, there must be hope. You must have hope. And lastly, there should be passion and compassion. Now let's start with the word of God. You see, the English Bible was translated from the Greek Bible. And in the Greek Bible, there are three kinds of word. But in the English Bible, they just translated everything as, in, as word. A particular kind of word in Greek is called rema. Rema means the spoken word. Alright? Rema means the spoken word. Sorry, let me start with the first one. Which is the first one in your outline? Graphe. Let me start with graphe. Graphe means the written word. The written word. That's where we got the word graphics. Graphics is gotten from a Greek word that means graphic. That means to write. To make a pattern on paper. So the written scriptures, the word of God, the Bible, is graphic. Is the written code. But the written word itself, when left alone, is dormant. The written word itself is dormant. The Bible tells us in the book of First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. The letter part says that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Have you seen some people, they can quote scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. But when you look at their life, it does not reflect what they know. If you try to preach to them, as you are quoting the scripture, they finish it for you. That shows you they know the letter, but they did not have the power to live the life because they have only graphic. They have only head knowledge. Head knowledge ain't going to carry you far. At best, it will show people that you know. 
but it will not transform your life. Amen. Whatever knowledge you have that you cannot apply to transform your life, you don't really have it. Are you flowing with me? So, when we talk about the word of God, the written word, the Bible itself, when it stands alone, it's just a book. It's just a book. It doesn't have power without some other things added to it. Does that make sense to you? Somebody said, if you, I will come to that. <laughs> I will come to that. It is important that the word of God, as it is written, you need to have it in your heart. But it is not enough. You need something to add to that. So let's look at the other kinds of word. We also have the logos. Another kind of word in Greek is called the logos. The logos means the complete word of God. It means the entirety of the word of God. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the logos. In the book of John chapter 1 verse 1, the Bible says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and, and the word was God. Amen. That word translated as word in English is the word logos. That means in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with God and the logos was God. And the Bible tells us in that place that the logos refers to Jesus. Jesus is the complete word of God. What do we mean by the complete word of God? Do you know that I'm sharing some things with you tonight? Do you believe that that's not all that I know about the Bible? Do you believe so? For me to speak to you, I first of all thought about what I'm saying in my mind. Right? Then I translated my thoughts into words through my vocal cord. Is that okay? Now, the logos where I'm concerned, that means the complete word that I have is every word that I have in my heart, in my mind, and the one I speak out, and the one I write, complete, everything together. Does that make sense to you? So Jesus is the entirety of the word of God. Whether written, spoken, thought, about, anything that is word of God in whatever form, that is logos. Does that make sense to you? So you should be a walking Bible. That means if we should pinch you, the word of God should come out of your mouth. When you are driving on the street and somebody just cuts you off, instead of a curse word coming out of your mouth, it should be the word of God that should come out of your mouth. Amen. You should be a walking Bible. That when we pinch you, it is the word of God that should come out. Your reflex action should not be a curse word. It should be the word of God. Does that make sense to you? Now, the other one, the last one we'll be talking about is what we call Rema. Rema is the spoken word. It is the spoken word that releases the power in the written and in the logos. 
until you give voice to the word of God, it is important. Until you begin to speak the word of God, it will not work for you. Does that make sense to you? It's not enough for you to believe in your heart. Until you begin to speak out what you believe, it's not going to have the creative miracle that you, you, are, you, you want. Does that make sense to you? It's not for you to know. Look at it this way. If a husband and wife are married, and the husband loves the wife so dearly, but he never tells his wife, I love you, how will the wife know that he really loves her? But I love you in my heart. I want to hear it. Why? Because the spoken word is powerful. We are created, we were created in the image of God. And God created things by speaking. If you look at the book of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God walked for six days. And on the seventh day, he rested from his works. So the question is this. What kind of, what kind of work was he walking? Was he doing for six days? The work of speaking into existence. Say light, be. This, be. This, be. And the Bible says he was walking. So that means when you speak, you are walking. Have you noticed before that maybe you were in a hot argument with somebody, with your friends, chatting, discussing, maybe for about two, three hours you were talking continuously. Maybe your friends came to visit you and you were chatting, talking. Then after they left and you sat down and you felt tired. Have you experienced it before? It's because talking is work. Talking is work. So your faith is not given the power to be released in its fullest, fullest potential until you speak it out. Amen. So we say faith, there are four elements that will make faith to be alive in your heart. The word of God. So the rema. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rema of God. Faith comes by your hearing. And when you hear, you speak it out. Faith comes by your hearing the word of God or by studying the word of God or by reading the word of God when you read your Bible or when the preacher is preaching the word of God is coming to you but until you begin to rema it out until you begin to speak it out Faith is not, is not formed in your heart. Amen. So that's the word of God. You must have the word of God for faith to be formed in your heart. Then the next one is hope. What is the place of hope in, your, in, 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 in the formation of faith? Remember, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now, faith is the substance of the things hoped for and the evidence of the things not seen. Now, let me make this submission to you. We have spoken so much about faith in, the, in Christianity, but we have spoken so little about hope. And the truth is this. If there is no hope, then you can never have faith. 
If your hope dies, your faith dies. Hope is what gives faith the fuel to run on. If you don't have hope, forget it, you can't have faith. Because the Bible says that now faith is the substance of the things hoped for. What if you are not hoping for anything? Then you can't have faith for anything. Hope. Have you heard this statement before? When there is life, there is hope. Have you heard that statement before? No, you've not. When there is life, there is hope. When you are still alive, there is still hope that better things will happen to you. No matter what has happened to you in the past. Hope is a powerful phenomenon that you need to have alive in your heart. Because without hope, you cannot build faith. You build faith on the substance of hope. Faith is the substance of the things hoped for. Amen. What is hope? Hope is the inner image that is painted in your heart by the word of God. That's why we spoke about the word of God first. Then we're talking about hope. Hope is the inner image that is painted in your heart by the word of God. Because, you see, we think in pictures. Do you believe that? We think in pictures. Let me paint a picture in your heart right now. All of you, listen close. Imagine a big black bulldog, eight feet tall, weighing 800 pounds, and is running towards you. <laughs> and his mouth is wide open. And they want to pounce on you. Now, can you see how that image was painted in your heart? In your mind? Can you see a big black bulldog in your mind? If, I, if I'm one of those guys that can paint a livid picture, some of you will be cringing in your, in your seats. I see the bulldog is real. You see, you must allow the word of God to paint a picture in the innermost part of your heart to the extent that you begin to believe it as if it is real. Just like the bulldog I am painting in your mind becomes real to you. If I continually say it long enough, you can almost touch the bulldog, although it's not there. That means if you allow the word of God to affect your mind and your heart so much, you can literally feel the word, though you might not see it tangibly. Hope is the inner image painted in your heart. Does that make sense to you? Hope is what gives us the strength to wait patiently for the promises of God. You see, there are some promises of God it will come right now. And there are some promises of God. It will come later. When you have hope, you will have enough strength to wait for the promise to manifest. But the day that your hope dies, 
you lose the strength to wait for the promise of God. So many people, they have given up what God promised them just a day or two before their promises were supposed to show up. I was reading the story of, um, uh, I, was, I was listening on the radio of one of these guys, maybe one of the soldiers in Vietnam or so, was captured by the Vietnamese and was put in prison. After the war ended or so, he was kept in the prison for many years until he was released. So the, his wife waited for many years. But there was no hope that he will ever come back alive or that he will be released. They don't even know whether they are alive or dead. After waiting many years, then he decided to remarry again. A month after he remarried, they released these guys and the guy showed up in the U.S. She waited so many years, but when the hope that her husband will ever return to her died, then she remarried. So when you don't have hope, forget it. You can't have faith. So the question now is, if hope is that important, then how can I have hope? There are two kinds of hope. There's what we call the natural hope, and there's what we call the spiritual hope. The natural hope is based on natural things. For instance, you don't have a car and you hope to get a car. How? Maybe you have a good credit. Right? You have a good credit or you have a bad credit. But you hope that based on your credit history, if you enter into a car dealership and they run your credit history, they will give you a car. So that you can be making monthly payments. Is that okay? And so when you walk in and it's a miracle because your credit has been dented, but they still gave you a good deal. So you come to church and you give a testimony that you were not supposed to get this car, but you got it, though you are making monthly payments. Alright? That's a natural hope. Because it's based on natural things. But what about somebody who is believing God for a car? say, I don't want, I don't care whether I have good or bad credit. I just don't want car payment. Lord, I'm believing you for a car and I don't want car payment. And she began to say, people are saying, how are you going to get a car without a car payment? It says, and that person began to answer, because the reason why I'm going to get a car without a car payment is because the Bible says in Philippians 4.19, that and my God shall supply my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He didn't say according to my salary. He said according to his riches in glory. Does that make sense to you? That person said because the Bible says in the book of Psalms 23 that the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore I shall not lack anything. Because it leads me into the green pastures. You understand? So she's using the word of God to paint a picture of hope that she's going to get a car without a car payment. Then as she's speaking that, somebody just picked up a phone. Say, God spoke to me to buy you a car. 
we have two vehicles now. We have a car and we have a truck. And we didn't buy either of them. Because when we came to this country, we didn't have money to buy a car. And we have no credit history. So we can't even get a car loan. <laughs> you can't even get a car because they said, what, how did they say it? Bad credit is worse, is better than no credit. <laughs> so they said, you can't get a car. I was asking for a $250 overdraft for my, for my bank. They said, you, don't have, you have no credit. And every week, every two weeks, they pay my salary in there. I said, just, my salary is coming next week. Just give me an overdraft of 250 to pay a bill. Say, sorry, you have no credit. I was shocked. <laughs> next week, when my salary comes, just take the money. Say, no, we don't operate that way. You have no credit. So, because there is no natural hope for us to get a car, therefore, we turn on the spiritual hope. And the spiritual hope made faith to well up on our inside. Because for about two weeks, we didn't go to any church. Because we have no car. And we don't know anybody to carry us to church. And we want to go to church. As we are believing God, God spoke to a couple. And they said, we'll buy you a car. And they said, please, don't tell nobody that we are the ones who bought you a car. <laughs> because we turn on spiritual hope. Does that make sense to you? I tell you, folks, the word of God is real. Faith is the evidence of the things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Amen. Let's move on quickly. You understand hope now. Paint inner images in your heart by the word of God. Amen. Now, confession. The creative potentials of faith is released by the confession of our mouth. Faith is a heart and a mouth connection. Faith is a heart and a mouth connection. When you allow faith to be built up in your heart by believing the word of God, whatever you are believing God for can be created when you speak it out of your mouth. But if you are speaking out the word of God and that word is not in your heart, it produces nothing. And if you have the word of God in your heart and you are not speaking it out, it still will not produce nothing. So you must believe it in your heart first then you must speak it out by your mouth, with your mouth. Does that make sense to you? So it is a mouth and a heart connection. Because that's how God is. God created things by the things he spoke out. But before he spoke it out, he believed in his heart that what he speaks is going to come to pass. So we must operate like God because we are created in his image. Amen. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10, especially in verse 10, it says, with the heart, you believe unto righteousness. But with the mouth, you confess to salvation. Your salvation did not come to being, though you are believing in Jesus Christ. There are so many believers in Jesus Christ around. But not everybody is saved. Those who are saved are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in their heart. And they make a true confession of what they believe. So it must be a heart and a mouth connection for faith to be released to create things for you. 
Does that make sense to you? Amen. So, in a summary, how does faith work? You see, graphe is information. Graphe informs you of the provisions that God has for you. It informs you of the precious promises that God has for you. Right? But it remains impotent as information. And many a times when you have a lot of it, the Bible says that knowledge pops up. You become proud and arrogant. Have you seen people who are learned? Have you seen people who are intelligent? They are also very proud. Because the Bible says that knowledge puffs you up. It makes you feel as if you are bigger than what you really are. So the same way, if you just know the word of God, the written word, at best, you become proud and arrogant. But graphe, or the written word, needs to be transported from the realm of your head into your heart. Right? It is when that word comes into your heart that it comes alive. It becomes logos. It is energized. Though it is energized, I don't know whether you have ever felt this way before. Maybe somebody is preaching and that word is eating you. Bam! And it's eating you. And you are just excited. You cannot sit down. You are jumping up. You are excited because something is being formed in your heart. That word is moving, is transported through the preaching of the man of God, through your mind, into your heart, and it's exciting your heart, igniting your heart, setting your heart on fire. All right? But it doesn't end there. When you now begin to speak out what is burning in your heart, then miracles begin to happen. Miracles begin to, to be created. Does that make sense to you? You see, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty two. He said, "Have faith in God." Another tradition says, "Have the God kind of faith." Have the God kind of faith. What is the God kind of faith? Whatever God says, he first of all believes it before he says it. And when he says it, he knows it's going to come to pass. So that means before you speak the word of God, have faith that what you are saying is going to come to pass. No matter how difficult it looks like in the physical. Amen. He said, for assuredly I say to you, whosoever say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Let me tell you folks, you are going to have whatever you say. Whether good or evil. Oh, this headache is killing me. But rest assured, say it long enough, that headache is going to kill you. Oh, it seems as if I'm going to have the flu. Say it long enough, you're going to get the flu. <laughs> Is that okay? Say it long enough, you have it. Oh, I'm going to be broke this month. 
be rest assured you're going to be broke. But as the children of God, you are supposed to speak what the word of God says, not what your situation is saying. You see, we learned two classes ago when we talk about the new creation reality. We said you are not the sick looking for healing. You are the healed of the Lord and Satan is trying to steal your health. What does that mean? You see, when the symptom of flu eats you, it doesn't mean that you have the flu. The enemy has just come to you to ask your permission if you can put the flu on your body. But many people don't know. They say, wow, it seems as if I've got the flu. By saying, it seems as if I've got the flu, you have just given Satan the permission to put the flu on your body. But when the symptom of flu, maybe a headache, or sinus headache eats you, say, no, oh, where's that coming from? Say, I rebuke you this headache. For the word says that by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, that the chastisement of my peace is upon him, that he bore all my pains in his own body. Therefore, headache, I rebuke you. Go back to the pits of hell from where you came from. In Jesus' name, amen. And just take your mind off it. Because you believe that what you said in prayer, quoting the word of God, you're going to have it. Do you see the difference? Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God in faith. So faith, your heart must be full of the word of God. Because you cannot quote those scriptures in faith if you don't know them. Does that make sense? If you don't know them, there's nothing you are going to quote to the devil when the devil shows up at your door. But when you are a student of God's word, the devil can't push you around. Amen. The devil tells you in your mind, you say you are a failure. You say, no devil, you lied, you made a mistake. Because the Bible says, whatsoever I lay my hands upon to do shall prosper. <laughs> the devil will just move back a little bit. Say, this one, he knows his word. You tell the devil, the Bible says, say to the righteous, it shall be well with him. It is well with me. Amen. Begin to speak the word of God. So let's look at the faith building process. You have to build your faith. When we got saved, the Bible says that God deposited in our heart a measure of faith. There's a measure of faith deposited in your heart when you believe. Really, you got saved because you have faith. So there's a measure of faith in your heart. So now that you are a Christian, you need to build on that faith by taking the word of God into your heart on a regular basis. Place yourself on a spiritual diet. You see, when you are trying to lose weight or gain weight, whichever one, you place yourself on a diet. Right? You say maybe take how many ounces of meat a day? Take how many ounces of this a day? Is that okay? The same way you need to build your spirit man. You need to go on a spiritual diet daily. For instance, somebody said if you want to read the whole Bible in 30 days, it's possible. Read 10 chapters of the Bible a day. You will read Genesis to Revelation in 30 days. 
We want to read the Bible in 60 days. Read five chapters of the Bible a day. You go through Genesis to Revelation in 60 days. All right? Easy. When you have the word of God in you, it's easier for you to speak it out when the enemy comes to you. Amen. And with that foundation of faith, when you receive the word of God, it comes into your heart. You believe it as the absolute truth. You meditate upon it. As you meditate upon it, it, it grows in your heart. As it grows in your heart, you give voice to the word of God. And as you speak the word of God out of your mouth, you will have creative miracles all the days of your life. And based on that foundation of faith, let's now talk about prayer. So today we are talking about the big the two big spiritual twins, prayer and faith, faith and prayer. Without faith, forget about prayer. Prayer hangs on the wall. Amen. So let's talk about prayer. What is prayer? We say that prayer is a two-way privileged communication between God and man. Listen, we said it's a privileged communication between you and God, and it's two-way. That means you speak to God in prayer and you expect that God will speak back to you also. It's not a one-way communication. Many of us, we pray one way and we don't receive God speaking back to us. God wants to speak to you when you speak to him. Prayer is you speaking to God. But God wants to speak back to you. Somebody said that God will do nothing on the earth except in response to somebody's prayer. And that's very true. Because when God created man in Genesis 1, 26, 27, he said, let them have dominion over the earth. That means he gave man total authority to operate on earth. I share with us in that class that if God wants to do anything on the earth, he looks for a man. Because he has given man the authority to operate on earth. And the same way, if Satan wants to do anything on the earth, what does he do? He looks for a man to cooperate with him. Does that make sense to you? So that means you and I, we have authority to operate on earth, and God has given us that authority. So, while many of us are, while many of us are saying we are waiting for God to act, no, God is waiting for you to act. Because he said, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So heaven is waiting on us to act. Because he has given us authority. So if you, if you and I do not do anything, heaven will not do anything. Because it's up to you and I to do something. Does that make sense to you? And we do something in prayer. Somebody said, every area of failure in your life is an area of prayer failure. Every area of your life that you have failed is because you have failed to pray. Every area of your life that you have failed is because you have failed to pray. Because prayer is what sets things right for your life. Prayer is what sets things right in the church. Prayer is what sets things right 
for your personal life, for your family life, for your marriage, for your finances. Prayer is the answer. The Bible says, in everything by prayer, make your supplications known to God. Make your petitions known to God. We need to pray to enforce the will of God on the earth today. Jesus said, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, we're going to look at that prayer model. He said, let your will be done on earth as you have already determined it to be done from heaven. Amen. So prayer is very important. So let's look at some basic elements of prayer. The basic elements of prayer are faith, the word of God, passion, and compassion. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you can't please God, why talk to him? He won't listen to you. He won't hear you. God does not listen to people who do not have faith in him. In fact, people who do not have faith in him, they don't pray to him anyway. So faith, the word of God, passion and compassion. You see, without these elements, we cannot pray effectively. Or our prayer life will not achieve the results it's supposed to achieve. So I've spoken about faith. I've spoken about the word of God. Now let me speak about passion and compassion. What is passion or compassion? Compassion in the dictionary is defined as a deep sense of awareness of the suffering of another. And being compelled with a wish to relieve it. Compassion is a deep sense of awareness of the suffering of somebody else with a wish, a deep seated wish to relieve it. The best way to, to, to explain compassion is the relationship between a mother and a baby. Can you imagine taking a baby and slapping that baby on the face? And the mother is sitting there. The mother is going to feel the pain. That is compassion. The father may be there, may not feel it. But because there's a communication between mother and child, the mother feels it. I don't know how they do it. I remember when I was growing up, I went out with my mom and my mom just had a baby and my mom said my baby is crying at home I said how do you know he said I know from my breast <laughs> he said I could feel it that she's crying I can't phantom it that's compassion and true true when we got home Say, had the baby been crying? They say, yes, ever since she left. She's been crying. So the question is this. When you see somebody suffering or somebody in pain, do you have compassion to the extent that you want to pray for them that they be relieved from their pain? Those who have the great ministry of healing, 
there are people who have compassion for sick folks. When you have compassion for something, God will give you, may give you the grace to be able to relieve it. So that is compassion. Some people also call it empathy. To feel what the other person is feeling. Then let's look at passion. Passion is defined as a powerful, ardent desire and an emotion directed at a particular object. So for your prayer to be effective, it must be a compassionate prayer that is, that is empowered with passion. You see, I see many folks pray around there. When I say around there, I don't mean this church. I mean in this country. And it seems to me as if people are not passionate about nothing. People are praying and they are taking a cup of coffee. Take a cup of coffee, put it down, and they are praying. That's not the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's not the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed and the disciples looked at him and said, wow, the way you pray is different. Can you teach us to pray? People pray and they are talking, gisting with their friends. No wonder we don't have too many results in prayer because we are not passionate about prayer. Prayer must be done with passion. Prayer must be done with passion. You flowing with me tonight? Prayer must be done with passion. You see, let's look at the book of James chapter 5. We read from verse 16 to 18. The Bible says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen to this. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Another translation says, the effectual, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, which is dynamic in his walking. That's the amplified version. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly. That word earnestly is another word for passionately. He prayed passionately that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And they prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So, what's it telling us here? It means that when you pray passionately, whatsoever you are praying for will come to pass. Whatsoever you are praying for will come to pass. When you pray passionately, whatsoever you pray for will come to pass. Does that make sense to you? It says he prayed passionately and heavens will tell the rain. That means you can stop something that is a natural cause from happening. Then after three and a half years, he prayed passionately again and the heavens gave rain. That means whatsoever is coming into your life that you don't like, you can pray passionately and it will stop. And whatsoever you want to come into your life, you can pray passionately and it will come. Does that make sense to you? 
We can change our world by prayer. And we should actually change our world by prayer. But your prayer life ain't going to give the result that it's supposed to give without you praying with compassion. There must be compassion. There must be passion. Amen. Have you noticed when we want to pray in church after the worship and somebody comes up and let's say we have some prayer requests here. Let's pray for somebody. He has cancer. Let's pray for another person. He has um, uh, lung disease. And you don't know those people. Do you know you will pray normally? But what of if that prayer request is for your husband or your wife? Do you know that the way you will pray will be different? Have you noticed? Why? Because you have compassion. Because it touches you. So you're going to pray more earnestly more than every other person. That's what we're talking about. That means you take it more seriously. Does that make sense to you? Can you see how unserious we are with prayer? If they mention somebody that we know that we love, we pray more passionately, more earnestly. So that tells you and I that our prayer life should be passionate. So that means without passion and compassion, you can't be effective in prayer because you just pray like any other person would pray. But when it touches you, you pray earnestly. Now, let me summarize by saying, what are the basic principles of prayer? One, prayer is our privilege as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a two-way communication between believers and God. Prayer must be made based on faith in God and his word. Prayer, effective prayer must be made with passion out of compassion. Now, we've been talking about faith and prayer and maybe some of us here, we don't know how to pray. Or all of us, we don't know how to pray. Really, many of us don't know how to pray. Just like the disciples of Jesus did not know how to pray. But they saw the way Jesus prayed. Remember, many of the disciples of Jesus were formerly disciples of John the Baptist. And they see how John the Baptist prayed. But when Jesus came on the scene, they saw that the way he prayed was different from the way John the Baptist prayed. And it was definitely different from the way the Pharisees prayed. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in teaching them to pray, Jesus said, in this manner, pray therefore. And this, he gave them the model of prayer. He said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Now, the religious folks, they took that prayer as it is. And that's all they pray. 
<laughs> That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Can you imagine that we come to church and that's the only prayer we pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that. Some people even made an hymn out of it. Really, Jesus is not saying that's the only prayer you should pray. Jesus gave them a model of prayer. Have you been to school before where they gave you the syllabus or the curriculum? They give you the curriculum. Now, for the next 15 weeks, this is what we'll be doing. And it's just one page. One page. The curriculum is one page. But you spend 15 weeks treating it. That's exactly what Jesus gave. He gave them a prayer curriculum. So we're going to go through this curriculum in closing tonight. So this is how you want to pray. Jesus is saying, when you want to pray, start your prayer by first of all acknowledging the person you are praying to. That's the reason why before we started tonight, let us pray. And let us start by exalting the name of the Lord and blessing his name. Acknowledging him. So Jesus is saying, when you want to start praying, start by acknowledging that God is your father. Say, our father what in heaven. That means acknowledge God as a sovereign, sovereign king. He is our heavenly father. He is your father. You see, when you acknowledge him as your father consciously, just like your earthly dad, if you had a good dad, you know how you will approach your dad when you want something from your dad. If your dad is a good daddy. Right? Do you approach him in fear? You approach him in respect. Say, hi, dad. Hi, pop. Whatever you call him. How are you doing, dad? If first of all, maybe you want, to, you want him to pay for something you want to buy for 500 bucks. You won't go to him and say, Dad, I need 500 bucks. You may not get it if you go that way. Say, hi, Dad. How are you today? Is there anything you want me to do for you? You first of all, <laughs> you first of all prepare the grounds. Then when you know that he's well pleased with you, you know, Dad, I was wondering, I saw something and I like it, and I was wondering if you, you may be able to get it for me. But you have already prepared the ground. You now ask, okay, how much is it? Say that um, it's just about 500 bucks. 500 bucks? Where do you want me to get that from? Say, dad, dad, dad. Say, okay, okay. You get at the end of the month. The same way he is your father. God is our father. So you go to him. He is a king. Your father is a king. Now you see, you guys in America won't understand how a king operates because you have precedence. If you want to know how a king operates, go to, to the United Kingdom. Um, and you see how they treat their king and their queen. In Africa, we have many kings. So you see, when you want to enter the palace of a king, you don't enter shabbily. You enter the palace of a king with praises of the king in your mouth. Let's assume I want to enter the palace of the king of Kansas City. I will stand at his gate. Your excellency, the king of Kansas City, you are the only one and you are the owner of Kansas City. Then I will take a step. 
without you, we cannot do anything in Kansas City. We cannot even eat without you in Kansas City. I'll take another step. I'm speaking at the top of my voice. And the king is on his throne and he's hearing me. And as we are singing his praises, like we used to say, his head will be swelling. <laughs> you know? Do you know how you feel when people say thank you to you and when people praise you, when people affirm you? You know how you feel? You feel bigger than you are, really. <laughs> you want to make the king bigger than, feel bigger than he is. So that eventually when you place your request before him, it will be easy for him to grant it. So you press your way to the king. And when you get to the king, you bow before the king. So after that, you ask the king, Sir, what do you want me to do for you today? Whatever you want me to do, I'm your servant. You say, Okay, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, I want you to do this. Then at the end of the day, the king will ask you, What's your request? Because the king knows that you don't come to his presence without having a request. Say, Sir, this is what we, the problem we are having, this is the problem we are having. Okay, consider it done. And when the king says, Consider it done, it is done. So the same way God is a king, though he is your father. You cannot just enter his palace anyhow. There are palace protocols. So you say when you want to speak to your father, acknowledge him. Our father who art in heaven. So when you want to pray, just say, Father, I bless you tonight. Lord, I acknowledge you tonight that you are my father, you are my God, you are my king, you are the ancient of days. You are our provider, you are our healer, you are our deliverer. Lord, we bless you tonight because this is the day that you have made. We are glad, we rejoice in you. Oh, Father God, without you, we are nothing. Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth, oh God. Lord, without you, we are all dead. You begin to speak things to acknowledge him as your father, to bless his name, to praise his name, but let it be from his words. Does that make sense to you? So our Father who art in heaven, you bless the name of the Lord. You enter. The Bible says in the book of Psalms 100, it said, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. You don't enter the presence of a king just anyhow. There is a protocol. When you... When, Assuming that President Bush invites you to the White House, there's a protocol that you must go through before you are ushered into his office. You must go through the protocol. So, in prayer too, you must go, go through the protocol. Amen. Let me move quickly because of time. Then the next one, hallowed be your name. Let me tell you, the name of God is hallowed. The name of God is to be respected. You hallow the name of God. You bless his name. Because by his name you get everything. The name of Jesus is the key to virtually everything you need. So that name must be, must be held in reference, in respect. So after your hand is cut with praise, with thanksgiving, you begin to hallow his name. Oh, Father God, we bless your name. Your name is beautiful. Your name is Jehovah Rapha. You are, the, you, are the, you are the healer. Your name is Jehovah Roy. You are the shepherd. You, your name is, you begin to bless his name. You begin to bless his name. Your name is exalted above the heavens. Your name is exalted above the earth. Lord, we bless you because your name is health. Your name is life. Your name is healing. Your name is provision. 
begin to hallow his name. You begin to respect his name. Then, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Before you place your request before the king, you want to ask the king, Sir, what's on your heart? I'm ready to do it. I'm your servant. So he begins to say, Lord, let your will be done on earth as you have planned it to be in heaven. Let your kingdom come. You see, the plan of God is that the kingdom, his kingdom will be, will, will be manifested on the earth. His kingdom is joy, peace, and righteousness. So we begin to say, Lord, I declare, let your kingdom come upon the whole of Kansas City today. Let your kingdom come upon our nation today. Let your righteousness, your peace, your joy, let it be released upon the land of Kansas today. Lord, let your kingdom come. Then he said, let your will be done. Lord, let your will be done. Let your will be done. And as you are conversing and praying to God, God will begin to show you his will. Lord, I pray today, O oh God, according to your will, everyone that is sick, that you want to heal, let them be healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your will be done today. Your will, maybe the will of God is that 10,000 people should be saved today in Kansas City. Lord, let people be saved today. Lord, let healing be released in the land today. Lord, let people come to you today. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come, O oh God. Let righteousness, joy, peace be released in our land. Begin to have the will of God begins to superimpose the will of God upon the land, upon your family, upon your situation, upon your businesses, upon everything. Let the will be of God be done. Does that make sense to you? Then the next one. After you have prayed that the will of God be done on earth, now you can now ask your request. Personal prayer points. Give us this day our daily bread. Then begin to put your own request, your own petition before God. Begin to pray. Father, maybe you need a car. You, 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 you tell him you need a car. And you should tell him why he should give you a car. And the reason why he should give you a car is because his word says so. It says in the book of Psalm 91, I believe, he said, Even the lion shall hunger, and the young lion shall hunger. He said, but those that love the name of the Lord shall never lack nothing. Say, Lord, right now I lack something to, to, to ride to walk. Now, Lord, I ask that you grant me a car. You see, many people when they pray, they pray amiss. How? They're asking God, Lord, as I go to the car dealer today, Lord, grant me favor. Let them give me a car loan. Or let, me, let them give me a car so that I can be making monthly payments. If that's what you pray, that's what you get. This is the way we are trained. If you need a car, ask God for a car. And let God decide whether I will give you the car or I will give you the money to buy the car. Does that make sense to you? If you need a house, ask God for a house. Let God decide how he's going to give you the house. Whether I will give you the house, somebody will just bless you with the house. That, that sounds impossible to you. It's possible. Or somebody will just pay for a house for you. You see, if what you are believing God for is $100,000 and you don't have 100,000 cents, it may be difficult for you to release your faith for $100,000. But instead of believing God for $100,000, why don't you just believe God for what you want and let God decide how he will bring it to you? Does that make sense to you? Ask God for what you want and let him decide how he brings it to you. Whether I will bring somebody to bless you or whether I will provide the money for you to do it. 
Easy. Easy. Just put, put pressure on the word of God. Amen. Then, after you have your daily needs, then you ask for forgiveness for your sins. And forgive us as our sins as we forgive others. Now, can you see how good God is? He tells you to ask what you need before you ask for forgiveness of your sins. <laughs> but the condition is you too, you have forgiven other people. If you don't forgive others, sorry, you cannot be forgiven. And the next one, quickly because of time, say, do not lead us into temptation. You begin to pray against all the plans that the evil one has for you for that day. Begin to pray against all the evil that Satan has for you. It said, deliver us from temptation and lead us not into evil. Deliver us from evil. Begin to pray against all the evil that is around you, that is, amen, that is all around the place. If you have daughters, pray against child molesters. Pray against evil. They shall not be kidnapped. Your children shall not be missing. Your teenagers, they shall not come into bad company. Begin to pray against all the evil. Amen. Begin to pray against all the evil around you, in your nation, in your city, in your house, in your family, upon your spouse, upon your children, upon your family members. Begin to pray against any evil plan that Satan has for them for that day. Because Jesus said, sufficient for each day is the evil thereof. Then after that, you now end your prayer by praising God. You started your prayer by acknowledging God and praising him. You end your prayer by praising him in faith. Say, so for, your, for yours is your kingdom, your power and thy glory forever and ever. You, you, you begin to worship him and you begin to give him thanks in faith that what you ask for in prayer is already done. That's faith. That, though you have not seen the physical manifestation, but you believe that it is done. Amen. And because of time, we are running out of time. We have even surpassed our time by about five minutes or thereabouts. Let me end by telling you also that there are different kinds of prayers. There are different kinds of prayers. You see, one of the reasons why many people, why many people have... Um, unanswered prayer is because they are probably praying the wrong prayer. As an example, I have this bunch of keys. You see, prayer is a key. Prayer is a key to a lot of things. But just like I have different kind of keys in this bunch, this is the key to my car. This is the key to my truck. This is the key to my apartment complex. This is the key to my apartment. I have another key here that leads to my office. Don't you think I'm going to spend the whole night here if I take this key that is meant to open the door to my office and I want to open my truck. I will be there all night. 
So the reason why many people are praying for years and they're not receiving answers, they're using the wrong key, trying to open the wrong door. So prayer is a key to many things. But you need to know the key to use for a particular situation. So briefly, very briefly, I'll just talk about the four or five basic kinds of prayer. We have what we call the prayer of intercession. A prayer of intercession is a kind of prayer that you pray. Imagine yourself to be like a lawyer, an advocate, and you have a client that maybe committed an offense. And that client, if the jury should find him or her guilty, is going to 25 years imprisonment. But if you are good and you can plead this case, it can be released. You understand? So imagine somebody in a terrible situation and you need to pray to plead their case so that they should be delivered. You need to be like a lawyer. You know, lawyers, advocates, they are solicitors, they know the law. They plead the case before the jury or the judge. And they convince the judge why their client should be set free. The same way, there's some kind of prayer that you pray that this person should be set free. For instance, somebody uh, drunk driving and that person should go to jail for 60 days with no option of fine. And we don't want that person to go to jail. Right? Because that person repented and gave his life to Jesus. But we don't want him to go to jail. So we want to pray to God to, to set him free. So you can pray some prayer using the word of God skillfully to tell God the reason why that person should not go to jail. Do you know why? This is called the book of the law. And this book of the law, the Bible, is above every other laws of any land. So you can invoke the more superior law, the higher law, to suppress the lower law. The laws of the United States is a lower law compared to the laws of God. Does that make sense to you? So you can plead your case why that person should not go to jail. Lord, this person is just a new convert. He just gave his life to Christ. And Lord, we want you to show him that you can turn a case that is an hopeless case around. And you can pray passionately with compassion using the word of God as your instrument. Because the Bible says, you can quote scriptures like, Jesus said, he whom the son set free is free indeed. Lord, I ask that you set my brother free. That when he stands before the jury shall be set free. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, he said that even the prayer of the mighty shall be set free. Even the legal, legal captive, the lawful captive shall be set free. That means somebody who was put in jail legal, legally because they committed a crime, the Bible says they can be set free if God chooses. Have you heard of uh, state pardon or presidential pardon? If a governor can pardon a prisoner, why do you think God cannot pardon a prisoner and that prisoner to be set free? Does that make sense to you? Hey, prayer can do anything. Amen. That's prayer of intercession. Then we have prayer of supplication. This is a prayer whereby 
this person's case is hopeless. This person, this, maybe somebody deserves to die. But now you're going to go to plead for mercy. Without the mercy of God, this person is going to die. Or this person is going to go through this situation. This person really sinned bad. This person really committed a terrible thing. But you are going to God and pleading their case, asking God to be merciful. Lord, please be merciful. Lord, you begin to quote scriptures where God says, I will show mercy to him, I will show mercy to you. You quote scriptures like, Lord, you said in your word in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, that though your sins be as red as scarlet, but I will wipe them as white as snow. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you forgive my brother, or if it's yourself, Lord, forgive me, Lord. Lord, I ask for your mercy, Lord. Lord, I plead your mercy, O oh God. Lord, let him do not do not enter further going to judgment with me, O oh God. Lord, your word says that you rejoice in, in, in your mercy, rejoice over judgment, O oh God. Lord, your word says that you will rather have mercy than have judgment, Lord. Lord, I plead, O oh God, that the judgment for what I've done will not come upon me, O oh God. Lord, have mercy upon me, Lord. Lord, remember the blood of Jesus, O oh God. The blood of Jesus that covers all my sins. Sins, oh God. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus, oh God. Lord, have mercy upon me, oh God. You begin to pray with passion. With compassion. You don't pray that kind of prayer and be taking coffee by the side. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? When you are praying that kind of prayer, you don't see anybody around because you are engrossed in that prayer. That's prayer of supplication. Then we also have prayer of thanksgiving. You see, there are some situations that you pray all kinds of prayer, nothing is working. Breaking to thanksgiving. The Bible says that when we praise the Lord, the earth will yield its increase. Praise is prayer. When we worship God in praise and worship, it's prayer. Amen. We are going back to the enemy's camp. To take back all that is taken from us, all that He has stolen from us. You are praying to God. And as you are praying, if you are visualizing yourself going into the enemy's camp, taking back your husband, your child, your spouse that He has stolen from you, you're going to get it back. So don't just come and jump and dance. Do warfare, pray in, in worship. It's not just, we're not playing here. Is worship. So there is a prayer in worship also. When we are worshiping, say, going up to the high places, going up to the high places, going up to the high places to turn the devil's kingdom down. Going up. We are praying. And as we are praying, we are pulling down the strongholds of the devil. So please, it's not just songs. Prayer, serious prayer in worship. Amen. Now let me talk lastly about prayer of consecration. Prayer of consecration is maybe God has shown you what to do, what he wants you to do, but you have another desire. 
but you want the will of God to be done for your life. Right? This is the kind of prayer you pray so that God will grant you the grace to be able to do his will and forsake your own will. This is the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, Lord, Father, is it possible for this cup to pass over me? He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. So this is a prayer you pray that the will of God be done in your life. Amen. So when somebody is sick and that person is dying, what they need is probably prayer of intercession or supplication, not the prayer of consecration. Lord, if it's your will, let them die. If it's your will, let them live. Nothing will happen. They will die, probably. And it might not be God's will. But when you say, Lord, your word says, I shall not die, but live to declare the glorious works of, the glorious works of God. Lord, I declare that I shall not die, but I shall live, O oh God. Because you have not called me to die, but to live. Lord, that I may yet praise you, O oh God. I shall not die, but live according to your word. You won't die. Is that okay? I say, Lord, if your will, if it's your will, heal me. And God is looking at you. My will is that you should be healed. So you take up your healing and stand up. Does that make sense to you? And let me close tonight by saying another way you can be strengthened in prayer is to pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Pray in the spirit. It will strengthen your spirit, man. It will give you the energy to pray. It will give you the compassion of your Holy Spirit to pray. And it will give you passion to pray. It's a pity that we don't have enough time, and um, I don't want to keep you for too long here. Eh? I would have shown you some ways that you can pray passionately and with passion and pray in the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, you cannot pray amiss. When you pray in English, you can pray amiss. But when you pray in the Spirit, you cannot pray amiss. How many people here are not filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Okay, how many people here can speak in tongues? all the other people. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Why? Because speaking in tongues will open you to the realm of the supernatural. I told you that you are essentially a spirit being. You live in a physical body and you have a soul. With your body, you make contact with the physical world. With your spirit, you make contact with the spiritual world where God lives. So when you pray in the spirit, you are making a direct connection. It's like an hotline to heaven. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Let's rise up on our feet tonight. Are you blessed tonight? Amen. I'm sorry I took you over by almost 20 minutes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I hope it's worth your time. Amen. Let's just begin to give thanks to God for what we've heard tonight. And I want to begin to ask God to grant you grace to be passionate in prayer. To be able to pray aright and not to pray amiss. To pray according to the will of God for your life. Oh, Father God, we thank you for tonight. We